0: Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is Raw, Honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach, Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. All right, everybody. Today, I have for you a super fun guest whose name is Leah Steele, and she is the founder of Searching for Serenity, a business focused on mentoring and training corporates and professionals who are struggling with imposter syndrome, burnout and feeling overwhelmed by their careers. Leah is also a blogger, speaker and jewelry designer because why have one career when you can have three? So please let me welcome you so much to this show, Leah. I'm very happy to have you. And nice. as in you warned me before we get on, so I will warn the listeners, if you are someone who is offended by foul language, this might not be your favorite episode because we're going to just let them fly. <laughs> today, because we both enjoy it, so that's the way it's going to go. Um, so, Leah, to get started, could you guide us through what happened to you when you were burnt out? Because I, the, the audience doesn't know this yet. But Leah, before this, was a lawyer. So this <laughs> this is a big change. So, could you tell us this story?
1: Yeah, I love the way you said lawyer. Like it's it's a euphemism for so many things, isn't it? <laughs> it is. um, <laughs> so. As you can tell, probably from my voice, I'm British. Um, I live in England. So there's a really long version of the story that starts when I was about eight years old, but I'll give you the, the shortened version because, frankly, it's it's long and winding. But I was eight or nine years old, and I decided to become a lawyer. Very difficult situation. And when my mum went to a lawyer to try and get some things resolved—divorce, selling houses, things like that—I remember sitting in this lawyer's office and. I was sitting in one of these high-back wooden chairs at this conference table that I thought was so snazzy and now just seems so quaint. Sitting at this table, watching this lawyer just start to sort everything out. And I suddenly had this kind of realization sweep over me and went, I want to do that. I want to be that person for other people. I want to be able to help. I want to be able to make things better. I want to be able to make sense of the dark. And... It was a completely ridiculous, crazy dream because I came from a single parent family. Although my mum worked, we were also reliant on state handouts to keep us above water. My father was an electrician. My grandfather was a plumber and a plasterer. I came from the most blue collar kind of family and nobody in my family had ever been to university. My mum had even left school without any qualifications. It was just crazy, absolutely crazy. But as you'll figure out with me, I don't really let things like sanity or the way the world works kind of stop me. So <laughs> my entire life became about becoming this lawyer. So I did my degree, I did my postgraduate degree, I was called to the bar of England and Wales in 2007, and kept going, kept going, kept going, and everything had become this all-encompassing. I need to be this person, and of course, an eight-year-old has no damn clue what a lawyer does, apart from sit in an office and have paper files and apparently nice suits. And snazzy desks. Oh, oh, very snazzy desk. It was hilarious because that law firm, I actually shared this this weekend before we were recording this. I shared a letter from that law firm because afterwards i was so impressed. I wrote to them and asked, uh, do you work experience with them? And I applied a year in advance. So this was a tiny little high street law firm with three partners and an associate. And I still have that letter. It was um, sent to me. 21, yeah, 21 years ago. And 20 years ago this month, I started my legal career with that work experience. So yeah, so it's, it's got a lot of memories for me, but everything had become this all encompassing. I had to be this person. I didn't really know who this person was. I just knew that wherever I was at any given moment, I wasn't it yet. Whether it was I wasn't qualified, I wasn't working in an area of law that I thought I should have been, I wasn't earning enough money. And there were a lot of knocks along the way. There are a lot of crazy stories that genuinely I share them with people are like, are you sure? Are you sure that happened to you? You sure you didn't dream (laughs) it? But yeah, I, I was working really, really hard to try and become qualified. It's this really weird situation. I don't know if it's the same where you are, but over here, you can do all of your study and still not end up doing the job that you set out to do because you have to get kind of like an apprenticeship or like you know somebody has to give you the golden key, um, and it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening for me. So I was working in law as an unqualified lawyer and working second and third jobs on top of it just to pay the bills because it the pay was great. fucking shit. And you know it was constantly I don't have enough money or I'm not close enough to where I need to be, and the overwork just kept rising I eventually qualified as a lawyer in 2012 um so I was what 28 at that point so it wasn't like I'd worked for decades and decades but it felt like it yeah
0: you 28 five years is
1: 15 yeah exactly and you know it was just it felt like you know it was always on the horizon for years it had been a carrot that had been put in front of me by employers like oh yeah we'll help you qualify and then they didn't or, oh, yeah, we'll help you qualify. And it took two and a half years to get the details pinned down and me going, I will leave. But, yeah, it took forever, or it felt like it. By the time I qualified, I sat down one day and worked out that in paid overtime and second jobs alone, so working at a cinema, working at a clothes shop, I would taken on a second job with my main employers where I worked 40 hours a week to um, kind of help them evenings and weekends. So my, my usual weekly schedule would look like, I did a nine to five, but I would also do five to eight, two or three evenings a week and a 10 to a four on a Saturday and then sleep on Sunday and do it all over again. And I worked out that I'd, I'd done something like an extra three and a half years of full-time employment on top of my day job in the seven or eight years it took taken me to qualify. So I was consistently working a minimum of 60 hours a week for nearly a decade. And I sat down and realized that. I was like, oh, it's no wonder I'm tired didn't change anything. Didn't change a damned thing. But slowly it was just becoming more and more and more. I took on another job where I was commuting and I was commuting three hours a day. I am not a good traveller at the best of times. There was a week, you know, it was getting ridiculous. I was doing this really intense job. When I qualified as a lawyer, I was working in mental capacity law, essentially. I was ferreting around in the records of people who had passed away figuring out whether they had capacity to write the wills that they did and helping families sort it out and I'd also taken on a new specialism but I taught myself essentially went to one course created this new specialism and started setting up a department around it and was pitching for work and doing marketing events and delivering training to other lawyers and I had a regular magazine article in a um a monthly magazine for private client lawyers. And I did quotes for national press and I was spinning so many plates and looking back, I, I think that's crazy. But right. then I also look at my clients and they do exactly the same stuff.
0: Yeah. People are doing this all the time. This is a very relatable story.
1: It's, it, it's what you have to do, isn't it? But I think we have this idea that I'm going to pitch up. I'm going to do my qualification. I'm going to get qualified. And it will just work. And it, instead, when we start working, it feels like we're constantly on sif- shifting sands. You know, you have to do these extra things in order to get a pay rise of 2% a year or a bonus of less than your monthly mortgage payment for one right, right, month. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot that goes with it. And the thing that I realized looking back was it wasn't people doing this to me. Every time there was an opportunity, I was like, Oh, me, 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 other, 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 like me, like me, please, please like me. Um, and so it just became more and more and more. And we got to a point in December, 2014, so I'd only been qualified for two years, but I've been working for a decade. My mum had been in and out of hospital and we'd begun to realise what was wrong with her. There was no treatment. And -hmm. there was this week, two weeks before Christmas, I had a client conference signed up, a mediation. Um, I had another couple of meetings. So I ended up in four days working Monday to Thursday. I worked out. I did 50 hours of work. It's more like 60 if you include the commuting. There were days where I was on the train at 5 a.m. and didn't get home till midnight. Right. And I just kept going and going. Took the Friday off work so I could relax, avoid the company Christmas party because I was being crabby to everybody at this point, shockingly. Yeah. Um, and just start my Christmas shopping, you know, call my mum. And at six o'clock that night, I had a text message from one of my colleagues saying, we've been let go early, we're getting rid of the Christmas party. I'm sorry you won't be here, but we'll have a drink for you and I'll tell you all the gossip up tomorrow. And 20 minutes later, there was a knock at the front door and it was the police because my mum had been found dead that morning. Oh my God. Yeah. Two weeks before Christmas and three weeks later, I was back at my desk dealing with the recently bereaved who were in disputes with their family whilst taking one day off a week to clear out my childhood home. But there was a period of, you would think, right, you would think the knock at the door would be the, oh my God, and then her life fell apart and then she rebuilt. That's what it would be in any Hollywood story, right? Yeah. My prince would have swept in at that moment. My prince had already swept in, it was fine. (laughs) But um, (laughs) Prince, check. Yes, prince, charming, tick. But it didn't. It took me another six months to properly fall apart and i it's really ended up, important it's it's crazy but it's what we do because not one of us gets up in the morning and is like mm, how do i feel mm, i've got a little bit of muscle tension i'll go back to bed for the day it's like grit your teeth lean into it as cheryl sandberg tells us and crack on
0: yeah and, and i actually, think that what you said is, is something that i've seen in patients over the years many 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 times that they'll say, you know, but I'm not particularly stressed right now, like nothing's really happening. And I'm like, what about the past 18 months? They're like, well, you know, my mother died, I've been overworking, my father was hospitalized, you know, I took a trip, and then it got canceled. And I ended up being stranded in India for, you know, two weeks with no (laughs) water. And and you listen to these things. And then I have to stop and sort of like, play the reel back for them and say, okay, so this is what you just told me the last year and a half of your life looks like you might not be feeling those things today, but they were bound to
1: roll up into a giant tumbleweed and knock you over at some point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what was happening. Um, I, I got almost to the end of the financial year. was signed off sick for two weeks. This is the absolute kicker. I got signed I was signed off sick by my doctor for two weeks on the basis. Come back. We'll see if you should be going back to work because I wasn't sleeping. I had chronic IBS. I was feeling nauseous all the time. I'd had a viral infection, bacterial infection. I had sinusitis. You know, it, my body was just going, sit the fuck down. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it. I got signed off sick on the Monday morning and I went into work and I told them I'd been signed off sick and I was going to take the next two weeks off work, but I wanted to clear my desk first. And it got to the point my boss was just looking at me like, you are a crazy woman. I'm going to have you removed from the building if you don't leave by 4pm. So that's fine. I will get it done. So I went and cleared my desk on the first day of my sick leave. Went home for two weeks to try and get my shit together because we can all get our lives together in two weeks. Of course. Yeah, it's a very reasonable timeline. Yeah. If not less. I mean, really, forty-eight hours should have done it. Should have, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And... Two-thirds of the way through my sick leave, I checked my bank account because I've had a text message that says my mortgage payment has bounced. Uh, My employers were not paying me my time off sick because, quote, I'd had too much time off that year. What with, you know, my mother dying and being the only person to sort out her estate and having had a whopping three weeks of work for that. And I just sat there on the floor in the lounge crying my eyes out thinking, what the hell have I done? One, because I thought, I can't ever go back to that. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too ashamed. I'm too angry with them. I'm going to cut someone. You know, <laughs> all the, all the reasons why are I'm going to cut someone. <laughs> um, and then on the other hand, I was like, what the fuck have I done with my life? That this is what happens. That this that is that the when result. I, yeah. Yeah. That I've, I've worked 60, 70, 80, 90 hour weeks. I've done days where, you know, I got up at 5am and drove to a, Oh, this network. it wasn't a networking event. It was like a, uh, I don't know if you guys have them, like a country show, like a town and country show. No, um, tell us about that. We, You know, uh, Americans love this British shit. Oh, and it, well, this is British as hell. Drive right to <laughs> the middle of Asprach Nowhere. No, it's not Asprach Nowhere, but it is the middle of nowhere. You don't get any phone signal in the middle of Wales for a farmer's show. So this is because agriculture is big in Wales. And yeah. I was working with a firm where we did a lot with agricultural clients we'd show up to these events. So we were in a, a big marquee thing at this huge, and I mean huge, farmer's show. Thousands and thousands of people and pens of sheep being shown and you could buy your shotguns, which is the only place in the UK I've ever seen a shotgun in real life. Um, <laughs> or any kind of gun that wasn't attached to a fairground, you know, <laughs> very go-round thing. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. That shoots water at a, at a target.
1: Yeah. You know, to win a duck or something. Um, and this massive event going on that we went to, so it was ridiculous heat. I'm ginger and pale and I don't cope with heat while in a marquee with no air conditioning, massive humidity. And I got up at 5am to drive three and a half hours there. You're hating life right now. Yeah. I got home at 8pm and it's like 6am, get up, do it again. And I sat, so, you know, this, I'd broken down completely. I'm sat there on the floor thinking, what the hell has my life come to that? It doesn't matter how much I overwork. It doesn't matter how much I overperform and beg people to love me. That At the end of the month, I can't get my mortgage paid because, oh, you know, I had, I had a breakdown, even though I work with clients with mental capacity issues all day long. Yeah. It felt so wrong to me. So that was my first fuck the shit moment. It yeah. should have been six months before my mom died, but you know,
0: no, well, or, or I'm, no, I'm it happen. you know, I mean, you can learn what you can learn when you can learn it. That doesn't, unfortunately, one of the things I've learned about burnout is it never fucking works on my schedule.
1: No. And survival mechanisms are strong within all of us. That's how we get to burnout. I say to my clients again and again, people who give a shit don't, you know, it's only people who give a shit that burn out. The people who don't give a shit don't ever burn out because the stakes were never high enough to begin with. Well, and something Um,
0: that you've said a couple of times already in this conversation is something that is really crucial to the work that I do. And, you know, doing all these things so that all these people love me.
1: Yes. Yeah. Imposter syndrome and people-pleasing. And people-pleasing. People-pleasing is the core
0: of everything that
1: I teach. Yeah. Because,
0: God, we just, we give and we give and we give for all the wrong reasons. We convince ourselves that we're doing it for the right reasons we're quote unquote just trying to help and why doesn't everybody appreciate then we get resentful
1: because mm-hmm. they are not
0: responding to our help the way that we want them to
1: which yes. is the help that they
0: never asked for and probably <laughs> don't need
1: mm-hmm. yeah there's nothing like making a relationship transactional to bring it down to its needs we're transactional
0: and or codependent
1: yes you know oh there's a lot of that definitely a ton definitely of it
0: there's a ton of it but it being in that place where you feel like your value and your inherent worth as a person is only visible when you are paying out energetically in massive massive amounts more than you have in your energetic bank yeah is
1: gonna get you burnt out every time every single time yeah so yeah so back to the <laughs> crying on the floor of the lounge. Yeah, yeah, let's go that. Back. <laughs> let's go that. That was four years ago now. And that could have been energetically, it feels like three decades ago. Yeah. Because everything has changed since then. That was May, yeah, May 2015. So four years ago, just gone. Yeah. Um, and I started making changes and I did the thing we can only ever work within our understanding and you know, what we've experienced before. So my response was, fuck the shit, I'm going to get a new job. Um, So I did (laughs) that day, pretty much. Got a new job. Right, I'm working for a nice little local law firm. that's five minutes down the road. I won't have to do the travel. I can go home for lunch. I can walk my own dog. And let's let's try that. It's going to be jolly. It was terrible. Um, You know, when you walk into a room and just know you don't fit?
0: Yep.
1: Day one absolutely day one but it was that situation of i don't feel like i can cope here i don't have the language to discuss with people what's going on i just need to get out give me any escape route so i had my escape route i got on the <laughs> on the boat and realized the boat had a great big hole in it so i started thinking outside of the box which is actually far more difficult to do than it sounds and i had been seeing people I think we all have somebody on Facebook who pops up with a sponsored post saying something like, do you hate your job? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't hate my job. This is one You're of the like- things I never hated my job. <laughs> yeah. My iPhone is uh, listening I- to my conversations again. <laughs> yeah, uh, always. It's before we realized that this was happening as well. Yeah. Um, and so I saw somebody that was saying about, you know, leaving your job to have a freedom business and working online. I was like, hey. I can do that with some of the skills I've got as a lawyer. Let's do that. So we we'll start working with her. And a couple of sessions in, we're on a group call. And she's like, Leah, you don't care about this thing that you're trying to do, this legal career spin out that you're trying to create. What is it that you do care about? And I was like, I genuinely don't know. No, I've never asked me that
0: before and I never stopped to think about
1: it. No one's ever cared because everybody has that bit on their CV where we say what we do outside of work. And I can bet you all of the money in my bank account. You probably want something better than that. Um, But I can bet you anything that everybody listening to this has on their CV that they like watching films or going to the theatre. They like reading. Traveling and some kind of sport, and I can honestly say that at least four out of five of those are bollocks, yeah. absolute rubbish. Um, you know, I used to have theatre and film on my CV, and at that point, I couldn't have told you the last time I'd been to the theatre. I think it was about eight years beforehand. <laughs> um, because nobody cares. It's about what you can do for your job rather than whether you're a well-rounded human being who isn't going to murder people at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. So, I started wondering what is it that I care about? And then paying attention to what, what are the things, there are a few of them as you can imagine, what are the things that I can't stop ranting about if somebody brings it up? Right. And one of them was the, just the absolute state that so many women in are at work. So how many women I had seen leave their careers or have to make the choice between having a happy home life and having a career or who just couldn't keep sacrificing And early on in my career, I thought they were weak or that I could do it better. I was smarter than them or I just wouldn't make some of the choices they'd made. And then I was sitting on the floor of my lounge crying. Um, So that's where I started. And I started paying attention to why is it that we struggle? Why is it that we don't have a work-life balance? Why is it that, for example, law in the UK, flexible working is almost seen as like you're less than. If you want to work less than five days a week, if you want to work from home occasionally, it's like, well, why? Why? You should want to be here all the time. And so I started talking about that. And that's where Searching for Sanity really developed from. I just spent a couple of months blogging and thinking about what I was sharing and what my experiences were. And the key themes that came out of it were burnout. Yep. Very familiar with that one. Imposter syndrome. Ding, ding, winner. Yep. And just this constant state of feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, never on top of the workload. But for people in particular who did love their careers or do still love their careers and want to love them again, those people who have those epic ninja days where they get everything done and everything goes well, and they feel really proud of themselves, but they can't remember the last time it happened. And that's where I started. For the last four years, I've been researching, developing, adding to, and working with women from the UK, Europe, US, just getting deeper into it and asking them, what are your boundaries? What do you say no to? What are the, the points at which you'd say, no, I'm sorry, this is, this is a no, I'm leaving, in any work situation? And those questions are very difficult to answer for a lot of women and a lot yeah, of men know, too. They, we,
0: we all know Simon Sinek loves to say, like, you need to know your why. I, mm. tell, I, I tell my patients, you need to know your no.
1: Yes, absolutely. Exactly. You
0: need to know, you know, because if you don't know where you end, where your energy ends, you'll again, burn out every time. I, I found a blog post uh, on your website that I mm-hmm. absolutely loved, which is called how to avoid burnout or why most burnout advice is bullshit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing. And I think that exactly what you wrote um Before we get on this call, Leah was saying, it's interesting because I think we come at burnout from different perspectives. I think we might use different words, but I don't think we come from different perspectives at all. And this is why. I cannot stand, and I write about this regularly on my blog, I cannot stand the positive thinking culture that allows us to spiritually bypass all the bullshit that's happening in our lives, pretending that it doesn't bother us because we are above that.
1: Yeah, I've been looking for what the psychological term for spiritual bypass might be, you know, a, a psychological comparator. Because spiritual bypass, it's something that I think people understand in the spiritual communities online, anybody who is more heavily into the woo. But you try and explain that to somebody who isn't heavily into the woo or is so far into get shit done on the daily, just keep going that they think, I don't have time for that. Well, it's, fa- it's false positive thinking. Yeah. Um, and it's, but it's exactly the same situation, that actual yes. blog, the blog about why burnout advice is bullshit was because an influencer on LinkedIn commented that they were going to write a blog about burnout because burnout was real because I hadn't taken a day off in six weeks. And I looked at them and thought, oh, Snookum, seriously. Yeah, that's you know, not it. It's not fucking bullshit. No. It's, it just drives me nuts. Burnout has become a cool word. Yes. Burnout has become like, oh, I'm so burned out. No, you're tired or you're bored yes. Yes. Or, yes. You're or you're frustrated because you're not need getting a the outcomes.
0: I have a yeah. blog post that's called, are you burnt out or do you need vacation? It's not the same thing.
1: No, burnout is when you take that vacation and log into your emails 12 times a day to the point that your boss threatens to remove your email access because you're emailing from the rooftop pool of your Grand Canaria hotel saying, but have you done this? But have you done this? But have you done this? Or you, you allow happens. yourself <laughs> a
0: vacation. You take the time off and you come back in and you feel like you never fucking left. Yes, exactly. And the, the component that I think is really important is something that you mentioned in your story is this idea that you know, you were having IBS, you were having viral infections, you were having bacterial infections, you were having sinus infections, your body was literally breaking down. So Mm. in the research that I've done, there's a huge amount of research that supports the fact that your body breaks down, your immune system breaks down, your brain changes structure, your stress management centers don't work as they're supposed to. We are not talking about something that you're just Thinking or feeling this is that people say that that, um, there's a word, you know, psychosomatic, that there's Mm. an issue in your body that is is mostly, quote unquote, in your head. And psychosomatic is actually a real thing. When you have an issue in your body that it comes from a mental place, there is a physiological change in your body, which actually means that that thing is is really happening. So whether or not it's from your head or from like an injury outside, it doesn't really matter. It's real either way. But Mm. more importantly for me, I have flipped that word around. And the word that I use in my blog posts and on my Instagram is somatopsychic. Things can happen in the body that then have an effect on our ability to function mentally as well. Yeah, You know,
1: it can work both ways. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I... So I made a choice very early on when I realized actually burnout is something I can't stop talking about. Um, Imposter syndrome is something I can't stop talking about. I want to help people to enjoy and thrive in their careers instead of feeling like they have to choose between a poor life or a wealthy unhappiness. And as I started really getting into that, I made a very clear decision. I was going to carry on working in law. And from the time I launched Searching Serenity, I worked a full year across two different law firms before I then decided, right, that's it. I'm taking a step back more and I'm putting more of the energy into searching for certainty. I already had clients by that point because I wanted to prove to myself that it can be done, that you can manage reverse burnout, change your lifestyle without overhauling it, without drinking, I'm sorry, I keep joking about green juices and pond scum, but (laughs) I used to take green smoothies to work and put them on the desk and everyone would be like, the fuck is that in that bottle? It looks like pond scum, tastes like pond scum, but it's supposed to do something good for me. So I'll drink it. I was not good at those recipes, but I made this really clear decision. I was going to do it because I wanted to prove that you can do it. And I wanted to walk the talk, but what then ended up happening, because of course these things always happen. I moved to a role where I was in the UK, it's called a court of protection deputy. So the way to explain it to anybody in America is Britney Spears conservatorship. (laughs) Imagine that happened but it was more private. So a court that anonymized her. right. And instead of her dad being appointed, it was a professional. That's what I did. Okay. So I managed the financial affairs of about two dozen people who had severe traumatic brain injury, either as a result of brain injury, traffic accident, accident at work, criminal injury. And as a result of those injuries and the claims that are arising, they each were worth between one and $15 million. And so I would do everything from buying their nappies, employing their carers, firing their family members when they stole their money, checking whether they had capacity to consent to sex or marriage, arranging everything. You know, I was their full life admin, and I was doing that job whilst I was creating Search for Serenity. And the amount of parallels I had sitting there in multidisciplinary meetings with neurorehabilitation experts and neuropsychologists and neuropsychiatrists and lawyers who've been doing this for 30 years and going, These people with traumatic brain injuries are exhibiting exactly the same symptoms as my clients with burnout. Exactly. The coping mechanisms that they used, I lifted quite a few of them and employed them with clients. Because when you're burning out, your attention to detail wanes. Your ability to retain information, your focus, it's exactly the same as a frontal lobe injury. Yeah,
0: well, (laughs) Um, physically, the the brain, the frontal cortex in the brain, as a result of long-term chronic stress becomes physically smaller. Yeah. Like if it actually shrinks. So there is brain
1: damage. Yeah. And my background in particular, one of the crazy stories that happened was whilst I was doing my postgraduate degree, my father died. My father and I had been a stranger a very long time by the time he died, but he had suffered from early onset dementia. So for me, sitting there on the one hand, working with people who are chronically stressed on the other having realized that when I was writing letters before action, bringing all of the case together, it's, I think people underestimate how creative a lawyer's job is or any professional job is, because you're usually creating something from nothing. It's pure alchemy. Yeah. But bringing together everything in a case to write a letter before action at 10 a.m., I couldn't do it. I kept sitting there looking at the computer. I couldn't do it. I'd had four copies. Nothing was working. I ate a bag of sweet. My brain started working. Right. That's how chronically exhausted I was. I yeah. needed to mainline sugar for my brain, which is fueled by carbohydrates, to yeah. start working. I did the same
0: exact thing. Same exact
1: <laughs> Brilliant one is it, it was Percy Pigs, which anyone in the UK knows they are <laughs> adored, they are universally adored sweet. But sitting there ripping the ears off of a cartoon pig um, in sugar form at 10 a.m. is a horrifying state for anyone to be in, just to well- be able to do your job. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you do need it. And so this is it's so important and I want to say read
0: something that you wrote on this blog that I think okay. people need to hear. I think it's important. Okay. And it, you say, "Most people think the opposite of burnout is energized, happy, a stock photo image of a woman with beautiful white teeth, boobs that jiggle and a stomach that doesn't running down the beach in the sunshine. It's not. The opposite of burnout is resilient." The opposite of burnout is about being you, completely you, minus a bit of the self-damaging behaviours, and plus the word no in a slightly more frequent basis. I'm sorry, that's not sexy at all, is it?
1: <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but and it, it's true. So many people, because I did this, I absolutely did this, I realised a year before my mom died that I was burning out. I didn't know what that was. I didn't have the language for it then. Thank God the World Health Organization has actually developed uh, yeah. a definition for burnout now because all of a sudden people are like, oh, burnout is syndrome. Burnout is a occupational disease. And I kept reading these magazine articles going, you got it wrong. That's not what it is. But yeah, wrong. I know. I re- I know. And it's
0: based <gasps> on Christina Maslock's research and they, they took the three top factors that she uses, the physical and emotional exhaustion, number one, the second one, the cynical, the cynicism and uh, detachment, and then the last one, the lack of it, feeling, a lack of impact. And those are the, the, the definitions that, they're for those of you who don't know, I'm not teaching this to Leah. I know she knows these <laughs> I am teaching, I am saying this for the benefit of, of the group. Yeah. The World Health Organization has adopted the definition of burnout that was created by burnout researcher. Um, who holds a PhD. Her name is Christina Muslock. She's very impressive. I have read a lot of her work, and she's done a crazy amount of work on it. But because the first one, for instance, is physical and emotional exhaustion, that basically covers anything from IBS to bipolar disorder. Like we're, We have not really quite figured out. We have a definition, but we really have not quite figured out how to really talk about it because of the fact that for each person depending on what their previous circumstances were, what their previous lifestyle was, what their previous structure was, how their parents ate and spoke to them and all of these other factors, burnout is going to present mm-hmm. to them differently. So I think one of the reasons that burnout is coming out now as such a big thing is because we are finally getting to the place where we're doing more individualized medicine and we're not as attached to you know, a list of three things that define a disorder. Yeah.
1: I've seen this in action because as a mental capacity lawyer, one of the things that we used to use quite a lot was something called a mini mental state examination. Yeah. Now I, oh my God, I laughed until I cried and I'm going to get political now. I'm sorry. Half the readership? I was going to say readership. Half the people listening have now switched off Um, (laughs) because mini mental state examination is literally a checklist. Yeah. It's, are you oriented in time and place? Do you know who the president prime minister is? And a couple of years ago, when Donald Trump's medical evaluation came out and a big song and dance was made about, uh, he was completely mentally healthy. It was the mini mental state examination. Um, And of course, as somebody who's worked with it, I'm sitting there going, that's not, that's, oh my God, no, this is a minimum standard. It's a minimum standard. And, you know, I've seen, I've genuinely worked with cases where people have scored 12 out of 20 on the mental state examination who couldn't remember what to do with toilet paper after they used it so hung it up around their bathroom Um, but it's but you know it's so the idea that one equates to the other but i think we all look for black and white a year before my mom died i'm sitting in the toilets again and again and again googling what is burnout how do i cure burnout and i kept finding the same articles that talked about priests burning out and the lack of empathy. Yes. Okay, that's one thing. But all the advice was, change your diet, try to relax. Telling a type A lawyer who spent her entire life in survival mode how just try to relax is a little bit um, ineffectual, should we say? It's a little bit rude, I think, because you're not actually yeah. talking to the person that's
0: sitting in front of you. Like, it's it's it's
1: yeah, it's it's it's, totally ignoring
0: who you are as a person.
1: Yeah, and it's so facile that we think, I'll I'll just you know I'll just do hopscotch I'll just jump into these three boxes turn around jump back and everything will be fine in my life I want the is it the red pill or the blue pill I can never remember which one it is (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we'll call it purple um but you know we want a pill we want a quick fix solution we want to press a button and it will be okay again and I remember just crying in the toilets at work and I used to do this thing where I'd fold a tissue and I would put it directly on the waterline of my eye above my lashes because if the tears were soaked up directly from my eyes and I hadn't cried down my face then you know obviously I hadn't cried so it didn't count and nobody would know (laughs) but I remember just sitting there thinking how do I how do I resolve this how do I change this and that's the biggest thing that I've been trying to focus on and I sometimes get lost in it but come back to it just want to tell people that It doesn't mean the end of your career. It doesn't mean the end of your life. It doesn't mean that you have to go and quit your job, sell your house and go and live in a mud hut in Bali, unless you really want to. uh, Yeah, unless that's what you need, which is fine. Yeah. If that's what you choose, that's different. Yeah. Particularly with burnout, it's like being perpetually backed into a corner with a, a big beastie, some kind of tiger or lion in front of you. And you could run away. You could get out of it. You could respond, but you feel... Like anything that you do is going to make it worse, right. and and so it's just easier to stay in this corner here,
0: yeah,
1: and keep going. And right. I have so many people who say to me, because I have had a rather weird and wonderful life um, in the first thirty-five years of it. God knows what I'm going to do for the next thirty-five. <laughs> now, God, but so many people say to me, "Oh, I understand why you burned out. You've had this happen or that happen, or you know, your mum died, so it made sense that you burned out." How can I burn out when I'm doing, you know, a, a job and I'm married with kids and I'm going, okay, when was the last time you slept eight hours a night? When was the last time that somebody said thank you to you at work? When was the last time that you did a job that you didn't go home and think, I could have done that better and I've got 50 more things to do tomorrow and I'll just log into my emails after dinner? We need to stop making it about catastrophe and make it about every day. The everyday- You've got the choice to oh, live shit. Yeah, Yeah. every day you've got the choice to live a little better or live a little worse. And most people are choosing the little, live a little worse option by default. Right.
0: And then you said in this blog post also, so instead I help you figure out why you're checking your email so much. What don't you mm. trust? What do you think you have to turn? Why do you think you have to turn the world by yourself? Yeah. Right, this this falls into very much the type A personality. And so, and this is one of the things that I have a little bit of a bone to pick with. I I love this question, and I think it's important. And also, burnout, in my research, one of the things that I found is there is a certain amount of it that is internal and controllable by us, and a certain amount of it that is external and not controllable by us.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? So this is when... You can make changes, and one of those changes might need to be that you have to quit your job and go work somewhere else because the environment that you were in lends itself to Mm. that for you.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Having a lack of autonomy in an office is one of the signs. Having, honestly, having like really bad lighting in mm-hmm. an office yes. is one of the things that leads to burnout. So if you have a place that's not focused on creating a burnout resilient culture within the corporation, within the job, within the company, mm. then sometimes part of, the, part of it is you do have to change that because you cannot combat
1: the energy of the entire world. Exactly. My point is that I see people quit because they don't think they have any other option. <clears throat> right. this, and they may or it's may, or may not. To, yeah, on. or because it's just pushed to such an extent yeah. that they see no other option. And that was one of the reasons why, for me, I worked. I mean, I did, I changed my employer as I was setting up searching for serenity. And I did have a little bit more autonomy. It came with some side effects, definitely. But, you know, I did not move to some kind of free range, you know, pasture fed version mm-hmm. of law. <laughs> it was the same strip lighting, you know, internal desks, sitting at a monitor 12 hours a day, being attached to a mobile phone and traveling around the country. What I, the biggest thing that I want to help people understand is you have to, or you get to, make informed choices. And quitting your job because it's accumulated and accumulated and accumulated until like I was, you're sitting on the floor crying, going, how could I ever go back? That's six months too late, six years too late sometimes. Getting to the point where you can do as much as you can within yourself, know that you are getting healthier, know that you have control over certain aspects, and then being able to very clearly identify what is outside of your control and whether that is something that you can tolerate for the long term. That's a very different proposition. Yes. From what I see a lot and Yes, I, you know, I get a, a message a week on LinkedIn from somebody going, "Oh my God, I love your work. I've been reading all your blogs. I quit my job today. I have no idea what I'm going to do." And I go, "Oh my
0: God, uh, yeah, ah. I absolutely am 150 percent right there with you." And the, the word that you're talking about, the thing that you're that you're floating around, is resiliency. Increasing yeah. increasing your stress management skills, increasing your the amount of resilience you have, which which in my practice I call bounce back ability. Yes. Yeah. Increasing your bounce back ability so that you're at this place where you can actually know where the energy leaks are happening, where you're overgiving, and how, where you can pull back, which things are actually affecting you. And just like you said, what are you able to accept and allow to be a part of your life? And what are you not? But you can't make that decision from a burnt out brain with a diminished frontal cortex. Because you're even your, your stress management system, your limbic system is not working properly. And also, in addition to that, the, your frontal cortex is, is responsible for logical thinking, right? So you're you're not as able to think logically as you were before. So
1: it's not a great time to make that decision, you know? No. And I used to sit there, you know, we had people when I was working as a medical capacity lawyer, managing affairs for people, you know, everything that they did was not scrutinized in a bad way, but reviewed. They were some of the most supervised, assisted people I've ever met with carers left, right and center and medical reports about can they do this or can they reason this? Can they understand this and make an informed decision? And I kept sitting there in awe thinking, you take this to any given person on the street and I don't know if they could pass that test. Yeah, You know, I don't know if the mum who is working five days a week and desperately trying to do the school run to the after school clubs knowing her kids are already exhausted shoving a piece of white toast in her gob and then checking into her emails after her kids have gone to sleep and working till midnight which a lot of my clients do yeah I don't know if they can make some of these more <laughs> um detailed
0: choices. nuanced choices yes yeah I
1: agree. And it, it's so important but that goes by the by as somebody that I follow on LinkedIn a while back referred to law in particular, as having become factory work for brains. This expectation that we'll go in, sit down, do eight to 12 hours, go home, that there's never any peaks or trust in our performance, that we shouldn't be impaired or impacted by anything. And it rang so true for me because it's this constant presenteeism. It's this constant showing up physically your brain is elsewhere <laughs> your brain is still in bed sitting at your desk and just scrolling and scrolling and responding to the most inane um stupid or simple emails because you have to do something you have to show you're doing something but everything else is just <laughs> yeah, so you're with a, product yeah. city yeah exactly so it's one of the things that i'm yeah, I'm it's, really focused on. I love it so much. What
0: is, can you tell us
1: what happens in your mastermind? So I, my mastermind is a little bit different. So I call it the Resilience Academy. Okay. Um, wow. it, it was called the Serenity Spirit Mastermind um, until recently. And I realized that we as a group, because they've been with me, most of the people, almost all of the people in there have been there with me for two years, because it's about long-term maintenance and improvement. It's about the tiny tweaks as opposed to the radical life overhaul that everybody seems to want. Again, it's deeply unsexy, but the Resilience Academy in particular, it's about being able to have a safe space to go to share, to be able to talk to people without feeling like, you know, Sheila from accounts is going to stab you in the back if she catches you crying in the toilets or any of those kinds of things. I do weekly life trainings and it's on random and disparate topics from actual resilience management, self-esteem, to how to deal with appraisals, to we have a book club and Brene Brown features very heavily. Um, There's a lot of upcoming texts around radical candor. Um, You know, the idea of being very honest, but also caring very deeply and how that changes the way we communicate at work, the way that we deal with stress. But it's really about all of the skills that we were never taught because as kids, we learn language, we learn how to write, we learn how to tie our own shoelaces. Nobody says to you, Well, one day you're going to go to work and there's going to be somebody who does something that you're uncomfortable with and you have to carry on working with them or make the decision about what you're going to do about that or find the right person to go and speak to. These are all incredibly nuanced topics that we are just expected to know. We're just expected to have resilience. We're just expected to know how to deal with that client who keeps making advances to you or that client who, God, you know, so many of them.
0: People um, just already filled that in. You said that client who, and we went dot, 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 and everybody yeah. just said
1: in their minds who that client was. Some, there's, oh, there's always some of them, right? Yeah. Um, and I've, I've certainly worked with I've got some brilliant people. I actually have some of my legal clients are still connected to me now, even after I've left law and love what I'm doing now, because we connected on such a human level. But there were also so many people who uh, were very difficult to deal with. And we're not taught how to deal with difficult people. We're not taught how to manage your energy when you've got massive competing demands. We're not taught how to switch off. Well, we never needed work. to know how to
0: switch off before because we didn't have cell phones until 2007, like uh, smartphones, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, my it just shows how quickly it changes. And this is yeah. one of the things that I do to remind people. My mother left school at 15 with no qualifications, worked in office jobs her whole life, she worked from home for a very long period of time, and she would work from six a m till ten p m every day that 's you know the the method I grew up with it 's amazing that I burned out really um, <laughs> but you know she worked in an office environment it was not god's going come back and haunt me for saying this, but it wasn 't complex work she wasn't having to weigh up the the relative cost benefit of do I employ this family member or do I get a professional that's going to charge more but have a better rapport, do this. It wasn't this constant grind that it is with so many of our jobs. Right. Her her mother left school. I have no idea if my grandmother has any certificates. My grandmother has never worked. She was a housewife. She had three children. She she worked. No, she didn't. Yeah. As in, she didn't have a paid employment. Yeah, she didn't have a paid employment. She worked. Yeah. (laughs) And so she says to me, you know, oh, I struggle so much. You know, when your granddad came home and he'd do this, and I, I kind of look at her and I'm like, we could be from different planets. Yeah. I know that, for example, my grandparents, when I was in law, never understood what I did. If you say contentious probate to most people, they don't get it. But I was sat at a family dinner and my aunt turned to me. She's like, I hear you've qualified as a solicitor. Yes. She's like, what is it you do? Because they don't explain it very well. Um, and of course they didn't. We lived in completely different worlds. And it's just so different two generations yeah 60 years between us and yeah. Yeah. the world has changed completely yeah. on its head Massive. and how are we supposed to deal with that how are we supposed to catch up and how, how are we supposed to, to know what we're doing
0: skills? yeah and how are people yeah. supposed to learn these skills when the skills that we need now didn't even exist and were totally unnecessary
1: yeah exactly we're, my we're, gosh the things we learned in school are not the things that we need in life no and God, we need to change it. Because I look at my friend's got a little girl who's four years old, and I am indoctrinating her into feminism like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Um, You know, I buy her t-shirts. The last one was strong, smart, and capable of anything. And, you know, I get her these t-shirts. She can't even read them yet, but I'm like, she will have it in front of her. Um, Because when she grows up, you know, it's gonna be another 15 years and she's gonna be working. And I cannot Right now, I cannot imagine what it's going to be like 15 years from now. In the yeah. last 10 years, last five years, I've seen massive changes in my former industry. You know, and next week, I'm going to speak to a law firm who are actively engaged with how do we prevent burnout in our best talent and how do we yeah. teach them resilience skills? Yeah. And I'm there thinking, God, where was this five years ago? I would have loved it. But it's changing so rapidly that. Thank just- goodness. Yeah, fine,
0: finally. Very in some ways. small goal with this podcast, Leah. My very small goal is to um, completely change burnout culture.
1: Oh, well, you know, it's tiny. I mean, you should achieve that by the end of next week, hopefully. I mean, forty-eight hours is good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the time frame we're going to do for everything. Forty-eight hours to change the world. Exactly, Leah. I
0: am so <laughs> grateful for this conversation, and the reasons that I think that this conversation in particular was important because there was no bullshit. <laughs>
1: No, I don't know how to do bullshit. I'm, I'm not very good at
0: bullshit myself. And so <laughs> I, I think that this is a conversation that people need to hear because of a couple of things. One of the things that you mentioned, I'm going to share that blog post that you wrote in the show notes because I think it's a good Bye. one. And I think that it's necessary for people to read through the whole thing because in this uh, self help culture that we have created, we have forgotten to actually check in with those selves. Mm find out what that self actually needs.
1: Yeah.
0: And and what you're saying is, you know, unless we start asking these questions and figuring out who you are and how you function and how to best design your life to create resilience, none of it matters. This, the advice around burnout, a lot of it is very specific to the individual and requires a lot of introspection and thought and conversation and help
1: all of which take time, effort, and, yeah, God, we don't like looking at ourselves and realizing we might have done something wrong, do we? We don't. We don't, (laughs) but I think
0: it's very important for all those reasons. So I would like to just really thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your experience with everyone and your mastermind, which I will also share with people, which is exciting. Yes. And Leah also has a freebie on her website that's called Burnout First Aid that I think everyone should go download. And I will include (laughs) link to that as well because it's a fantastic um, resource for everyone. So Leah, thank you again so much. That was such a joyful conversation for me.
1: Mm, Thank you too. I really
0: appreciate it. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Leah Steele, our friend joining us from the UK. And she, again, is the founder of Searching for Serenity. And so I will share all of those, all of that information with you in the show notes. And I really would like to encourage you to share this with anyone who you think might need to hear this message today. And we all have at least two friends that need it. I mean, at least. So share it with those people. Let us know what you think. Give us some reviews and we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Ha ha ha